to me, it's not just about the pay and the benefits. The pay and the benefits start the conversation. It's everything else, how you treat people, how you talk to people, the other fringe benefits that you offer. Like I said, help keep people there, but it's all about how you treat them in the end. Small businesses are the backbone of the American economy and here in Michigan, but only 50% will make it five years in business. On Mitten Money, host William Zank will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners with the tough questions that will help them succeed. How do I expand my business? What options do I have for retirement? How do I move forward? Having worked with small business owners throughout his entire career and with excellent attention to detail and strong analytical skills, William Zank of TriStar Trust will unearth answers to these questions and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Mint Money. I'm very excited to bring you the second episode in our two-part series on human resources. Today, we're going to be diving headfirst into everything pay and benefits with Chuck Stadler, who is the current president of Core Staffing, which is a healthcare staffing company that provides services across America. Chuck has been involved with the healthcare industry now for over 15 years, helping manage and grow many different businesses during this time, including some in the food industry. Today, we're going to have a lively discussion on how you strike a fair balance for pay for the employee and the employer, what benefits employees are most seeking out, and lastly, how often should employers be revisiting employees' wage? So welcome, Chuck, to Mint Money. Thank you, Will. Before we dive in and talk about paying benefits, let's talk a little bit about yourself. First off, what made you initially interested in pursuing a career in healthcare? And then also from there, what made you interested in starting core staffing? Pursuing a career in healthcare was always a thing that we had a lot of family members proximal, you know, nurses and respiratory therapists. My father's an LPN, my aunt's an LPN, another aunt's a respiratory therapist. So healthcare was very close to what we do. And then just the fact of caring for people, always a unique challenge to take care of them. And specifically in healthcare where I worked was mostly in the critical care areas. So a little bit more adrenaline, more fun things to do, a lot more learning opportunities. And then for core staffing, after working in healthcare for a couple of years, I worked for a contracting company for a little while and thought, I can do what you do and I can do it better. So here we are 14 years later. So when you first initially saw that opportunity, were there just opportunities for expansion within the Great Lakes Bay area? Or did you see that not trying to downplay other staffing companies that may have been present in the area at that time? Well, was it an opportunity that you saw that you could offer more services, have more service to end clients that you could help be serving? The customers were, they're not going to grow too much, right? There's not new hospitals being built every day, especially here in Michigan. So our big approach was to the fellow clinicians, fellow registered nurses and respiratory therapists. And we are who you are. I'm a registered nurse also. And specifically, our team is comprised of a lot of other clinicians also. As recruiters, we have respiratory therapists, surgical techs, other registered nurses. So we kind of set ourselves apart from a lot of other healthcare staffing companies with the fact that we've been in your shoes. We know exactly what's going on at these hospitals. We probably know a lot of the people that you're working with also. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And what would you say would be the percent of, if you were to go take a hospital from the area, so whether that be McLaren, MidMichigan, Covenant, at least here within the Great Lakes Bay region, what percent would you say would be potential uh, contract nurses working at those hospitals at any given moment? That's a great question. Pre-COVID, some hospitals had none. Some had a great talent acquisition process and training and really keeping their employees happy and safe. 
lately, that number has grown quite a bit just because of the pandemic. Rates are all over the place right now. So a lot of the staff at the hospitals are realizing that they can make some money right now too. So I would say probably 20%, give or take at this point. That's significantly higher than what it's ever been. Pre-COVID, heavy using hospital might have 25 to 40 contractors from a nursing and allied standpoint. Chuck, do you mind talking a little bit about your telehealth recruiting services and then also as well uh, IT, which I think is very interesting when you think about you're in the healthcare industry and the food industry, but then also the tech industry too. So do you mind talking a little about those areas too? Yeah, definitely different than healthcare from the IT perspective, different set of recruiters, different mindset going into it. But we're recruiting a lot of the people that work behind a lot of the things that people use every single day with insurance and healthcare and manufacturing. It's surprising how many people it takes to build the things that we use every single day. We acquired the IT recruiting company about the same time that we acquired the telehealth company with the mindset that we're building our own piece of technology here. So I need technology recruiters to be able to help us get to that point. So staffing via telehealth is definitely different also. When you think of telehealth, you think of your doctor. And telehealth adherence was probably in the 15 to 20% range pre-COVID. But now the adherence to telehealth and the willingness to use telehealth services are significantly higher. Some experts have it in the 60 to 80% range of acceptance of telehealth services versus in-person. So people are starting to realize how simple it is that you don't need to travel every single time to have an interaction with a healthcare provider, whether it's your physician or with us like a respiratory therapist. Well, it's really cool. And I'm certain that a lot of these acquisitions helping build up these companies over time have probably led to some industry recognition, which I believe back in 2019, you were listed as one of the businesses to watch within the state of Michigan, I believe. Uh, Do you mind touching a little bit on that too? Yeah. So in 2019, we were nominated and received an award for Michigan Small Business 50 Companies to Watch. We were nominated by one of our business bankers through the acquisition process of some of these acquisitions and showing them how we're changing healthcare and the delivery of healthcare through some of these telehealth services. In addition to the overall acquisition, expanding our reach throughout the Midwest. So it was good to have the recognition to be up on stage with the other 50 prominent owners that are working hard every single day to make their businesses different and unique to both their customers and employees. It's pretty cool how you've been able to start core staffing, then you've also acquired and kind of built out these other two ancillary healthcare businesses along with that. What was the inspiration for looking into these other food service industries as well? Is that something that prior to starting your career in healthcare that you worked a little bit within a pizza type environment or other food services? I guess, what was the thinking with those two other businesses that you started? We have core staffing and Franklin with Michigan is a small community and it is very community focused. I'm, I'm sure if anyone's been there, they know that it's not just chicken and tourism and Christmas. We have a lot of great people and businesses here that service the locals. A lot of people don't think that people live in Frankenmuth. It's just tourism only, but we've got a great people and service organizations here too. So core staffing, when I joined Rotary and the chamber, people scratch their head and say, what do you do exactly? And I explain it to them and they say, well, why don't the hospital just hire their own? So they just didn't really understand what we do. And within that company also, 
years ago, probably two years in, I had all my eggs in one basket. And that customer said, we're done. We don't need any more agency. We're going to figure it out. And so that need for diversification was definitely there. And it hurt 12 years ago when that happened. And I made it a point to myself never to let that happen again. So the diversification within core staffing happened by getting more customers and everything over the last 12 years. We've also acquired a few companies in the healthcare staffing space to diversify even further. But from an overall entrepreneur standpoint, I didn't have anything community facing either. So a Mexican restaurant came available and my wife and I ate there and said, let's give it a try. We don't have any specific background in food other than working in the food industry in high school for both my wife and I. Both of us have a server background. So it's important to us that mentality of service. Nursing is one way of servicing people. Food is another way of providing service to people. Same thing as time goes on, I started realizing, what am I good at? I'm good at being a nurse, but I'm not always going to be a bedside nurse. And through the entrepreneur side of things, I've discovered that I'm good at building teams. I'm good at building teams that are dependent on one another and not necessarily dependent on me. They're dependent on each other in the process, working together well. So against many people saying that's not a very smart idea to get into the food industry, we've been very successful and very happy with it. And Frankenmuth definitely makes it easy as a community of supporting businesses, but also the tourism and locals. Locals are what carry us with everything. Having a great relationship that we can donate things to the schools. It's hard to donate healthcare services to the schools or to other community businesses or festivals, you know. So this was an easy way for us to help with the donation side of things too. Oh, it's wonderful. I really appreciate you kind of diving into that a little bit. So let's switch topics now to pay and benefits. When you get into the hiring stage for an employee, how do you balance fair pay for both the employee and the employer? And should most people in the employer's shoes rely on industry data as a good guide for people? I think your industry data is going to get you in the ballpark. You don't want to be too above or below your competitors in the same space. It's difficult to operate. If you cut your margins, if they should be 20%, you cut them down to 12%, it's going to be tough to sustain in the long term. But what you do with that 20% is what's important. How you take care of your people, how you treat them. It's not just about the pay and benefits. In the staffing space, we're somewhat limited where the bill rates are established. So the pay has to be within a certain range. To me, it's not just about the pay and the benefits. The pay and the benefits start the conversation. It's everything else, how you treat people, how you talk to people, the other fringe benefits that you offer, like I said, help keep people there, but it's all about how you treat them in the end. Oh, of course. I mean, if you treat them like crap, they're definitely going to go to another place. Subsequently, your company could be faced with some bad reviews that could be online, whether that's your glass door through other referrals. And so it could just be an unfortunate rolling a snowball down a hill, but instead of getting positive momentum, you're unfortunately getting negative momentum at that point. Once you establish a good relationship with a potential employee, let's say they're working well over the course of six months, a year, two years. Again, I'm not obviously in the healthcare industry, so I can't tell you how often those reviews may come along, but how often should an employer be revisiting an employee's wage? And what's a good timeline that may be frequently? Because I believe most people would think it happens on an annual basis. In your opinion, do you think that's a good benchmark for people to use? 
Of course, it's a great thing to have set timelines for all employees so that they have an understanding of when their reviews and everything should take place. And generally, it's a good idea to look at it annually. From the staffing perspective, it's a little bit more difficult because the rates are the rates. I can't really fudge with the rates too much to make things better or worse for too many people. We have another business called Lazy Dog Pizza here in Frankenmuth. And that one has been a little bit more of a challenge where we've had to revisit rates and other things much more frequently, especially as the pandemic started and has gotten to the point where it's at, not only offering wage increases, but finding other ways to make people happy and enjoying their work. So what were some of the other ways to help make people happy? Are you helping give out free pizza at the end of each shift? Maybe like a pizza making contest, I guess, what are some of those other ways that you've kind of experimented around with? So some of the things that we work with are more than anything, keeping them happy from a staffing perspective. If they're constantly working short staff, it wears on people. If you're supposed to get out at 10 o'clock and they're not getting out until 11 o'clock on a regular basis, it wears on people. Pay has been great. The tips have been amazing for a lot of people and the customers have really taken care of our team. But giving the manager a budget to be able to run and go grab snacks for the team, I know that happens in the hospital a lot. When things go bad, buy pizza. But just allowing them to have flexible scheduling, working around kids' schedules, school schedules, and everything else in between. And then in the big picture, looking at what's available to us in the market as business owners, there's never been more things free and available than right now. So if we can take advantage of that for our employees and encourage them to take advantage of it as well. So free community college for people without an associate's degree, the COVID pay for being exposed or having COVID, even COBRA as some things available right now. So really exploring all the options that you have for your employees to be able to take care of them. And it doesn't affect the overall bottom line of the company. It seems simple, but it seems like also not too many employers are necessarily taking advantage of all those different resources. So thanks for touching a little bit on that. Kind of switching now to when you find out that you have a position that you want to advertise for. So let's say that you're advertising for a new chef for your pizza restaurant. How important is it to list a range of pay that you're going to be offering for a given position? And do you think that it's better to come in and at least let them know what the expectation is? Or do you think it's better to arrive at a more normal or more accepted type of market range that they may be expecting? That's a great question. The old school way of thinking was don't disclose the rates because then you can get people in and interview them and convince them that they want to come on board and then tell them what the range is. To me, it's kind of wasteful of time if you don't disclose that kind of stuff, because if candidates are expecting $30 an hour, well, it's going to be difficult to make that at a pizza place. So making sure to set expectations so you're not wasting anyone's time. You know, that actually sounds like a pretty cool thing too, because I know a lot of employers, they may get a flood of applicants for any given position, whether it's for nursing or for the pizza shop that you mentioned too. So I guess that's also a pretty good way of narrowing down the potential pool of applicants, but then also seeing if they may be acceptable for that range too, because counterpoint to that, if you have a position open and you don't give a range out and you could come to a disconnect at the end. And so at that point, I shouldn't say wasted, but you're already invested that much time into the applicant. And then at the end of the day, you're kind of a little bit of disconnect and not that would leave a sour taste in anyone's mind or anyone's mouth, but you know, it could just be a little bit of a souring experience. So I guess in a way, it's a good way to help manage your time and manage your resources too properly. Yep. And I'm a big believer in having a good job description put together. 
to have a job description with the salary range, if people truly take a look at it and look through the HR fluff of a job description, the meat and potatoes are there. And so people can figure out what kind of employer you're going to be from at least the salary perspective. Another question that is on a lot of people's minds nowadays is trying to come up with a competitive benefits package. It seems like more than ever, people, potential new employees for any business, they have multiple, multiple options to go look into, whether it's you're seeing help wanted signs, whether different restaurants, different businesses trying to attract new talent. So what are the first steps that people should go look into when they're trying to come up with a competitive benefits package? I mean, people think, all right, so let's go try and offer some health insurance. Let's go give some PTO. Does it really stop there? I mean, to your point earlier, trying to provide a fun, but also happy work environment also goes a long way. But you know, what are some of the ingredients that go into that? Great question, Will. The best part about the benefits package that you can do is it's a pretty well fixed cost for the most part. So you can start with your PTO and medical, dental, vision type benefits. Of course, you have your 401k or retirement type options with match or no match. And with no match, there's no expense for you really as an employer. Even a simple IRA is a great tool for allowing employees to develop a retirement so that they can eventually enjoy their retirement someday too. We offer things like supplemental insurance you know, for cancer, accidental hospitalizations and things like that. This is a unique one that we are contemplating. We haven't started it or anything yet. It's been a challenge to recruit for this position, but we have a lot of people who work from home from a administrative team standpoint. So hiring a housekeeper that they can utilize to come to their house once a week, using that as a bonus program. As long as you feel comfortable having someone in your home, use the company housekeeper. That's just an idea that's floating around at this point. When developing the structure of the overall benefits package, I think you still have to look at your competitors in your space because if you are offering bronze level packages and everyone's offering Cadillac level packages, well, it's going to be difficult to recruit your talent. And similarly, from the opposite side of the coin, if everyone's offering bronze and you're offering the Cadillacs, are you taking away from your bottom line or are you able to recapture that money some way, somehow? But ultimately, happy employees create happy customers and happy customers make the world go round. Very big serendipitous circle. So I can completely understand that. Have you seen any of those benefits change at all over time? I mean, have people placed an importance more on health insurance in the past than what they may do now? Or maybe the important thing now is to help save for someone's retirement. Have you seen any of those changes through running any of your businesses? I don't know that they've changed a whole lot from what people need and want. Of course, they want something that's cheaper and better coverage. And we'll get there as time goes on, as growth happens. But the fact that they're there, we didn't offer life and long-term disability insurance up until recently. And it was something that a lot of people, I didn't realize this, but a lot of people were not happy that we didn't have it. Some probably made decisions not to come with us because it wasn't there. And it's really an inexpensive offering for a lot of our team, but just a matter of putting it out there. So I think it's whether you have them or not, and then to what degree, because it will affect everybody a little bit differently. Someone that may not be able to have life insurance because of pre-existing conditions, someone that just doesn't have the capability of getting those types of insurances, but they can because it's employer-sponsored. Of course. That makes sense. 
Earlier in the conversation, we mentioned how you were involved, at least within the pizza shop as well. And I think from another conversation, one that we had pre to this podcast recording, you've mentioned that you also run another eatery in Frankie Muth, if I remember right. Is that correct? No, we sold that one, but we used to. Throughout the COVID pandemic, I can only imagine with trying to staff a food company with the pizza shop, and then also with all these different healthcare staffing companies that you also have, staffing has probably been a very big challenge for yourself. So what are some of the things over the past year that you've run into? What were some of those initial challenges and hurdles you've had to overcome to help continue to go make your businesses as successful as they have been? Initially, when the pandemic started, it was the uncertainty. From the healthcare perspective, we were very heavy in electives. So OR, cath lab, pre-op, post-op type healthcare bedside services, and all electives were shut down. So that was scary when your overall numbers dropped by 40% in a matter of two weeks, not sure what to do, but looking out for what we have and communicating with all of our customers, with all of our employees, making sure that they're happy and healthy and okay with what's going on. Some people were like, I'll take two weeks off, no problem. And so it worked out okay. And then as time has gone on, it's just constant communication and updates with the teams. From the Lazy Dog Pizza perspective, we've surprisingly done very well through the pandemic. Pizza is kind of pandemic-proof, if you want to say that. If you look at all the major retailers of that, it's all about the team. We had a great working environment prior to COVID. It was fun, it's easy, and everyone works hard, but they work together. So it was easy to recruit more people into that. And we didn't lose as many people because they were mad about the way that we ran things. We tried to keep people safe and protected by putting up the plexiglass and doing curbside service and ordering masks for our team members that are working at the hospitals. A lot of the hospitals did initially have some concerns with PPE and the people that were working in the March, April, May timeline of things of 2020 probably had some level of PPE supply issues. So they were being informed to use for N95 masks, wash them. I mean, all kinds of crazy things were happening at that time. So it's just constant communication with our team and acknowledging uncertainties with how things are going. Yeah, some very good practices that unfortunately a pandemic is continuing to go on, but at least helping set that tone early on can really help your employees at least get a good gauge of how you're responding to it. Because obviously, you can't be showing fear during all that. If you're showing fear, that just transpires down to the employees and that can make them fearful as well. Yeah. Especially in the very beginning stages of the pandemic, we were having once or twice a week meetings with all of our staff, just jump on Zoom and let's talk. If you guys have any questions, concerns, made our recruiters and HR teams available. I was always available for my teams and just making sure that we could talk about it, bringing us all together and talking about the same concerns together. When I was coming up with some questions prior to the interview starting, I got a little bit of background of yourself from Mary Jo when she was telling about all these different things. I'm thinking in my head, I have one job, I have one dog, I have one kid, and I struggle to go find time with free time within my day, at least to go try and look into any of these other different things that I'm at least interested in kind of learning, whether it's learning a new language, trying to find a new car to go buy and yourself, very efficient with your 24 hours you get a day. So Hats off, kudos to you. And it kind of works into the the next question a little bit with what are some things that you like to go do with your free time? That's the easy part because I have little kids, 12, nine and six-year-old daughters. And so I try to spend as much time as we can with them. We enjoy traveling, camping together, camping with family and other friends. I try at golf. 
I have a few different hobbies. They're kind of seasonal in nature. I don't ever get really good at any one of them. So hunting, golfing, and just hanging out with friends. Yeah, fun. And so for those who want to learn more about yourself and core staffing, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? You can find us on our website at core-staff.com. And also we're all over social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, everything. We've got quite a few recruiters throughout the Great Lakes Bay region and also in the, throughout the Midwest. So we're out there on social media. Well, thank you for mentioning that, Chuck. So thank you again for listening to another episode of Mid Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast. You don't want to miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Chuck. Cool. Thanks, Mo. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com. <laughs>